Good morning, Centennial Covenant Church. I am so delighted and honestly relieved to be with you today. Every Sunday, as soon as the chat begins, I've just jumped right in. And uh, I cannot describe to you the pleasure to see even names and uh, welcomes and sometimes a little update, family update is given in that chat. And so I'm missing out on that this morning and I'll go back and read those when I get home. But I wanted to let you know that I am here today so thankful and humbled to be able to bring the word to you today. Our passages today come out of First and Second Corinthians. But I want to make it clear that I'm pulling small passages out of a much bigger topic. So if you have not yet gone back and reread 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, I highly recommend that you do so. We are learning so much from the Corinthian church, and we're going to continue that today. A few weeks back, Carl asked this question. What does it mean to be the body of Christ in our fill-in-the-blank world? Now, if we just look at news headlines, this is how I would fill in those blanks today. What does it mean to be the body in our racist world? What does it mean to be the body in our violent world? What does it mean to be the body in our uncertain world? What does it mean to be the body in our diseased world? And I think we could summarize everything on the news by filling in the blank with what does it mean to be the body in our death-filled world. This has struck me, how much death that we are every day looking at, pondering, laughing at, engaging, making jokes about, and lamenting as we have this morning. So we have gone back to Corinth to help us understand what it means to be the body today. The Corinthian church has a lot in common with 21st century America. And so I want to just remind us of what exactly did the Corinthians value? What did they Value. What were they about? Because if you read First and Second Corinthians and you haven't taken the time to understand the background, you're going to miss out on what Christ was doing in their midst. You're going to miss out on what Paul was doing as he wrote those letters to the Corinthians. One of the biggest things that the Corinthian church valued, not just the Corinthians, but the Corinthian church valued, was social status. The city of Corinth was a unique city in the Roman Empire. It did not have established families, the, the powerful families. 
it truly was a town where you could make something of yourself with a little bit of gumption, a little bit of some conniving. It was a very competitive sort of town. From athletics to social status, competition drove them. And it was a city where the hierarchies were a little bit more fluid. And if I want to get to up there, I have to climb through the different social status, the different hierarchies in place. But Corinth gave a unique opportunity. There were stories of the self-made man, the slave who becomes the millionaire, the slave who becomes the politician. And so we see in Corinth a, a real focus on who you were and what your value was. And, and you belonged because you had something to contribute. You belonged because you had influence. And one of the particular pieces that's important to understand about the Corinthian culture is this concept of patronage. Now, we don't have this so much in our culture, although once I describe to it, you might see it. Patronage was this idea of if I'm down here and I want to get up here, I need to court, flatter, uh, and do favors for the man who's up here. I need to work my way up through the social status. And so the average day for a middle-class man who wanted to make the most of his life was to start his day by going and visit the different great men who he was a client of. And these great men would maybe give you a food basket or get, maybe give you some money. Or you could, if invited, ask them, uh, if they could put in a good word for you because you're looking to promote your son in the military. And so it was a system of influence. Now the reason why I bring this up is when you understand patronage, you begin to see how it had an impact in the church in Corinth. Many scholars believe, for example, that the reason why they did not even understand how to do the Lord's Supper properly is because these patrons use the Lord's Supper as a way of making it really clear who were their clients and who were on the outside. So if you were a client who was in good standing with this influential Christian family, then you were invited to the table and you had plenty to eat. And you were then celebrating the Lord's Supper, but it was very much a political maneuvering this system of patronage, what it did is it made the Corinthians seek after the present. In order to have a great future, I must do all these things today. In order to have a better life one day for my family and my children, I must occupy my present with all the things that I can possibly do to make my opportunities count. We see this way of thinking, this Corinthian way of thinking, we see that it has truly made inroads into the church. How much of the Corinthian culture was present 
within the churches of Corinth. This becomes the tension that we see throughout the two letters. And in the first letter of Corinthians, we see that they are still very much grounded in the basics of the faith. But by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, something has happened. And many scholars believe that these patrons have now begun to customize Christ in a way that was more Corinthian. And so the church really struggled with understanding what is truly of Christ, and what is just of my culture. So Paul has a task. His task is to confront the church's attempt to redefine the gospel, to make it more palatable to a Corinthian worldview. And the thing that I'm going to talk about today is an example of how this all happened. And the theology is the theology of resurrection and Paul's teaching on the resurrection. And I want to explain this, but this is kind of hard to understand, so bear with me as I try to explain something that for our culture has not really been a thing. But for the Corinthian church, this has become a problem. I hope that it helps you to see how the Corinthian church tried to make Christ Corinthian as opposed to making themselves more like Christ. The issue is the resurrection. You see, the resurrection of Christ is the center of the gospel. Christ's death was necessary, but without the resurrection, we believe in vain, Paul says. So, The Corinthian church got the idea of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they decided to use it as a means to an end. So instead of focusing on worshiping, on promoting the risen Savior, instead they went straight to, well, when do we get our resurrection? What do I need to do right now to enjoy my own future resurrection. See, because the teaching is that one day when Christ returns, we will, you and I, everyone who has said yes to Christ, will one day receive a resurrected, glorified body. We will be the most ideal versions of ourselves, and we can only be this most ideal version of ourselves in Christ and through his power. And that's the promise, that's a a future hope that we look forward to as believers in Jesus Christ. But the Corinthian church said, well, why wait until then? Can't I live my best life now? What's wrong with a little glorification right now? Now think about what they value. Social status, patronage, hierarchy, the present. And because that was the Corinthian way, they distorted the idea of a resurrection. 
They made Christ's resurrection a means to an end, a personal end of self-glorification. And so we see that Paul, by the end of the first letter to the Corinthians, needed to fix this. And he reminds them of the basics. Just like we, a few weeks ago, spent time going back to the basics, Paul goes back to the basics. And this is the message in a nutshell. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. You see, he needs to remind them because they've lost their way. I need to remind you, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. Not by your own self-glorification, not by working the patronage system, not by competing with your fellow Christians at the Lord's table. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. And you can read that in Acts Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Paul is reminding them. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Paul has to remind them that Christ's resurrection is not a means to their end. He is the one who saves. He is the one who pays the debt. He's not just your patron, he's your Lord. And you don't use Jesus to climb the social hierarchy. Do not make Christ a Corinthian. Make yourself like Christ. And he reminds them of the basics. You see, what we see here in 1st and 2nd Corinthians is that Christ confronts Corinthian culture. They wanted the gospel to be more Corinthian. They wanted it to to make itself a little bit more flexible to their own culture. And so they struggled to understand their identity in Christ because they just used that identity for their own gain. And so Paul exhorts the Corinthian church to believe accurately so they may behave appropriately. If you say you belong to Christ, then act as one who belongs to Christ. You see, the issue is one of allegiance. What do you value more, who you are as a Corinthian or who you are as a follower of Christ? As the body of Christ, Christians are called to promote Christ's resurrection. Our hope is in Christ, not in ourselves, not in our own status, and not in our own power or influence. So the question is, who will you and I promote? 
The question for the Corinthians was, who will you promote? Will you promote your patron? Will you promote your self-interest? Or will you promote the resurrected Savior? So Paul goes in 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 12. He brings them back to reality. They want up here. And Paul says, no, 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 no. The message of the cross brings us to exactly who we are in Christ. So read with me. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that life, the life of Jesus, may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. We're a new creation, right? So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Don't go running to the future resurrection of your body. Your purposes are to be accomplished in this mortal body. We reveal Christ now in this body, in this time, and in this culture. Death is at work in us, and we see that every day in the news, don't we? But life is at work in you, Centennial Covenant Church. Our purpose is to reveal Christ. Our life is to reveal his life. Our mortal bodies in this life are more than adequate for the task of revealing his life. So as the church, we promote his resurrection. We are called to be his ambassadors, as Paul says in the next following chapters. His representatives. We bring Christ to our culture and to our world. Your body has a job to do. The body of Christ has a job to do. That job is to reveal Christ. A few weeks ago, Carl posted a quote by Mother by Teresa of Avila. And I'd like to read this. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body on earth but yours. If you've said yes to Jesus, you now take Jesus everywhere you go. You are now the hands of Christ. Your hands may serve or your hands may subjugate. Your feet might bring the gospel of peace, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, or your feet might bring destruction. We are his voice 
We are here to speak the truth in love, to show the truth and love of Christ. Our body has a purpose now. So I have to ask a hard question. You see, if Christ confronted Corinthian culture, Christ also confronts American culture. How much American culture have we allowed to flourish in the church? How much American culture have we even justified as Christian? What injustices are we rationalizing as of Christ? Have you in any way, have I in any way, have we distorted the gospel? Have we made Christ more palatable? Have we made Christ American? I gotta tell you, as I read social media, as I read the news, as I watch the news, as I see the way the church responds, as I have a painful conversation with my neighbor across the street because she comes up to my door wearing a mask wondering, how can you be a Christian and behave this way? And I'm like, whoa, 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 what have I done? But what she meant was, she's watching particularly evangelical Christianity and it is offensive to her and not in the right way. How much are we saying is true and right because we're sprinkling a little Jesus on top? You see, we are to be the body of Christ. Not the body of my own self-interest. Not the body of my political party. Our allegiance ultimately is to our resurrected Lord because it is only his love that conquers fear. It is only his death and resurrection that conquered sin and death. I have no powers. I can only go so far. Even the very best of what I can do pales in comparison to who Christ is and to what he has already done. So Centennial Covenant Church, what does it mean to be the body in our fill-in-the-blank world? This is a difficult world. And we're in a country that has wonderful things about it. But we are also living in times where we've got to promote Jesus over our own country's values over our own country's ideals. At the end of the day, do you, Centennial Covenant Church, promote Christ? Do you promote his life? Do you promote the power of his resurrection? Do you promote the transforming nature of his love? We need to confront how we may have made Christ American.
we need to confront viciously and ruthlessly any sort of attempts to making Jesus palatable. We promote, as the body of Christ, we promote what he's about. And you and I are in a time where we need to, as we look at what's being put out, as we look at what social media is saying, as we look at what the different sides are saying, and, I, and I'm talking about the events of this week, but I'm also talking about the events of the last decade. We need to take a look, and when we read that, do we see it as Jesus sees it? Are we doing something about it? Are we taking the gospel of peace everywhere we go? Are you taking Jesus with you? Because you see, you are his body right now. And we need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to discern and to be strong enough to choose Christ over our own self-interests. So my encouragement at Centennial Covenant Church is that we be the body of Christ and that we promote his life, we promote his resurrection, and we promote his gospel. Because that is the only gospel that will transform the world. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we're so thankful that because of your death and resurrection, life is worth living. And we desire to live it to the full. We desire to live it and make you preeminent. Remind us as fear enters in. Remind us, Holy Spirit, when evil knocks at our door. Remind us when our own selfishness begins to overtake us. But the only one who can truly change this world is Jesus Christ. And that he is the only one worthy of our lives. Pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.